to The Word is Resistance, a podcast where we're exploring what our Christian sacred texts have to teach us about living, surviving, even thriving in the context of empire, tyranny, violence, and repression, the times in which we are living today. What do our sacred stories have to teach us as white folks about our role in resistance, in showing up, and in liberation? What wisdom is there for us as white Christians in these troubled, violent times of pandemics and racial capitalism and the beauty of resistance? I'm Rev. Sarah Howell Miller. My pronouns are she, her. I'm a United Methodist minister, and I live in what is currently known as Winston-Salem, North Carolina, on the ancestral lands of the Chiraw and Catawba peoples. This podcast is a project of Surge Faith and is particularly designed for white Christians, white Christians talking to other white Christians about race and white supremacy. We believe white Christians like us, like me, have a responsibility to commit ourselves to resisting white supremacy, to speaking up and showing up and disrupting white supremacy where we find it, including in our own Christian tradition. We do this work remembering we are building up a new world. This live recording of Dr. Vincent Harding's song for the Freedom Movement is of a multiracial movement choir practice in Denver, Colorado in December 2014, being led by Minister Daryl J. Walker. We are deeply grateful to the Freeney Harding family for letting us use this song for the podcast. This week on the church calendar is the Reign of Christ, traditionally known as Christ the King Sunday. We'll talk a lot more about language. It's the last Sunday of the Christian year, the final week before Advent, which marks the beginning of a new liturgical year. Our lectionary texts include the last words of King David and a psalm emphasizing how God ordained his rule, as well as eschatological hymns to and visions of the majesty of God as Lord, King, Ruler. I'm going to focus on the gospel text for this week, a passage from John that is perhaps most strongly associated with Good Friday and narratives of Jesus' trial and crucifixion. In this interaction between Jesus and Pilate, Jesus' kingship is not a fact, but a question, a challenge, and the nature of his kingdom is confounding to the authorities and to us today. This text challenges us to examine what others tell us about God. It highlights the problem with kings and kingly language and it invites us to imagine a new way of belonging in the kingdom. Hear these words from John chapter 18, verses 33 through 37. Then Pilate entered the headquarters again, summoned Jesus, and asked him, Are you the king of the Jews? Jesus answered, Do you ask this on your own, or did others tell you about me? Pilate replied, I am not a Jew, am I? Your own nation and the chief priests have handed you over to me. What have you done? Jesus answered, My kingdom is not from this world. If my kingdom were from this world, my followers would be fighting to keep me from being handed over to the Jews. But as it is, my kingdom is not from here. Pilate asked him, So you are a king? Jesus answered, You say that I am a king. For this I was born, and for this I came into the world to testify to the truth. Everyone who belongs to the truth listens to my voice. 
Nobody answers a question with a question like Jesus. Pilate asks what on its face sounds like a yes or no question. Are you the king of the Jews? Rather than give an answer, Jesus presses Pilate, do you ask this on your own or did others tell you about me? What others tell us about Jesus, about God, can form us for liberation or for oppression. How many of us were told, implicitly or explicitly, that God is a white man, that God hates queer people, that God ordained the racial capitalism on which America is built? Adam and Eve could tell us from experience that listening to what someone else says about God can be like playing with fire. Their experience with God in the Garden of Eden had been one of trust, vulnerability, and nurture, but a few words put in God's mouth by another sent Adam and Eve searching for fig leaves and cowering in shame. Jesus' question to Pilate echoes God's words to God's children hiding in the garden, who told you that you were naked? As a white Christian, I must always be aware of what others have told me about God, whether explicitly or implicitly, and I must be prepared to disrupt any effort, however casual, to make God in the image of white supremacist patriarchy. As I walk on my anti-racist journey, I remember that Jesus put the question of his identity back on Pilate, just as he asked the disciples at Capernaum in Matthew 16, Who do you say that I am? What truths about God do I discard or reclaim as I seek to resist empire? And who does that lead me to say that Jesus is? Then again, there are times where I ought to question what others have told me about God, but there are also times when I need other people to tell me about God. BIPOC people, immigrants, queer and trans people, disabled people, what they tell me about God can be a corrective to what people of power and privilege have told me about God. It can broaden my imagination of and openness to a more just and inclusive revelation. I question what I have been told about God, not so that I might shape God on my own, as if I am ever truly on my own and not always swimming in the waters of whiteness, but so that I might tell truer stories of when and where and through whom God shows up and speaks and works. This week is the reign of Christ, but it is also Thanksgiving, or rather Thanksgiving, a stark reminder of the colonial impulse and how it has shaped Christianity in America. When I quiet the voices that praise a God of colonialism and manifest destiny, I have the opportunity to listen more carefully to the voices that center a God of liberation for the oppressed. Of course, there is a persistent problem here, the problem of kings. In recent years, following the lead of anti-racist activists and theologians, I have shied away from king language for God, which does make this week in the lectionary a difficult one to navigate. We rightly question how appropriate king is as a title for Jesus, for God. We wonder if this is an instance in which the words and images available and culturally relevant at the time these scriptures were composed may no longer be helpful. And we'll come back to the question of language, but here in John chapter 18, Jesus does not seem eager to claim the title of king, but neither does he reject it outright. This political language underlines the empire-threatening intersections of Jesus' influence at the time. Of course, the Roman rulers misunderstood exactly how Jesus was a threat to them, as Jesus was not running for political office or trying to organize a coup. The threat was much deeper and more existential than that. 
Jesus' kingship or reign is not about taking over current systems of power, but about disrupting them. The reign of God calls not for different people to lead, but for whole systems of leadership to be dismantled. Now, I only recently learned that the Feast of Christ the King or the Reign of Christ wasn't established as part of the Western Church calendar until 1925, which is pretty recent in the scheme of church history. Pope Pius XI instituted the Holy Day in response to growing secularism in the West and the rise of nationalism and fascism. Where Benito Mussolini had claimed that ultimate allegiance was owed to him, the Pope wanted to remind Christians that they were ruled not by earthly powers, but by God alone. This feels particularly relevant today in the face of rising white nationalism in America, much of it claiming Christian roots or alliances. And white Christians must understand that the call to be ruled not by earthly powers, but by Christ is not a question of personal piety. It is a deeply political question with material consequences. We follow Christ the King not as an alternative to fascism or nationalism, but as the means of undoing and undermining those systems of oppression. Jesus does not aspire to kingship as in taking the position of an earthly ruler in a system of empire. Especially in John chapter 18, Jesus' kingship subverts the very notion of kings. Before Pilate, Jesus is not wielding power and judgment. He's being subjected to it. Reverend Dr. Will Gaffney writes, In Jesus, God was not reclining on the throne of the king, but rather subject to the king's justice, stretched out on a Roman cross with a crown of thorns beaten into his skull. This king was the victim of what James Cone called a first century lynching. The trial before Pilate was a kangaroo court like so many in this country that preceded and precipitated racial violence. And here we white Christians need to be careful. We must hold the cross together with the lynching tree without glorifying or sanctifying the racialized violence of our day, as we are prone to do with the violence of Jesus' passion and crucifixion. To see Jesus and those whom the Salvadoran martyr Ignacio Elacuria called the crucified peoples of history is to see clearly, but never to condone or to glamorize. We celebrate resilience while lamenting and resisting the conditions that unjustly demand it of some, but not of others. Christ the King comes to subvert and do away with kings. And if it creates dissonance for us to go from one Sunday celebrating the reign of Christ to the next awaiting his birth as a helpless infant, then we've missed something. This reminds us that if we're going to talk about Christ the King, even as we problematize the title, there is a queen we often overlook, Mary, the mother of Jesus. Now, it's not part of my tradition to refer to Mary as queen of heaven, but it was worth the reference to bring her up in anticipation of Advent. And so that I could share this quote that references another political ruler, Herod, who in the Gospel of Luke is the one seeking Jesus' crucifixion. In her book, How to Have an Enemy, Melissa Flora Bixler writes, In the disruptive reign of God, the foil to Herod is not the eagle with its armies and kings. It is a teenager, pregnant outside of marriage, a poor girl from the backwater town on the outskirts of the capital city. She's the wretched of the earth, and within her body is the one who will end the power of the Herods of this world for good. Now, it's hard to consider Mary from an anti-racist lens without remembering that black women have a miscarriage rate 40% higher than white women. 
that Black, American Indian, and Alaska Native women are two to three times more likely to die from pregnancy-related causes than white women, and that Black women who use drugs are disproportionately surveilled and reported to child welfare services, and once in the system, they face lower odds of reunification. And if we bring to mind Mary in this scene between Jesus and Pilate, we cannot help but remember all the black and brown mothers who have lost their children to state violence. In their grief is a cry to resist the forces of empire and to pray and work for the coming of the reign of Christ, a reign of justice, liberation, compassion, and healing. Cooperating with the coming of the reign of Christ requires us to understand and analyze power, Our text from John chapter 18 offers us an alternative to violent supremacist notions of power. While we tend to think of power as an either-or, you either have it or you don't, Cindy Suarez says there are two kinds of power. Dominating power, the kind we're most familiar with, and liberatory power. Dominating power is about domination, scarcity, control. Liberatory power is about abundance, creativity, Liberatory power, Suarez says, is available to marginalized persons even in the midst of oppression. Before Pilate, Jesus is exercising liberatory power, refusing to participate in the system of domination and submission that Pilate represents. Liberatory power does not come naturally to kings as we have known them in our earthly systems of government, but for Christ's kingship, Christ's reign, it is a necessary and radical redefinition of power as a resource to be shared rather than a privilege to be hoarded. And there's something in that about belonging in the kingdom. The reign of Christ is belonging to and participating in the truth of liberatory power. And it matters how we talk about this. It matters that this reign is governed by kinship and not by an earthly king. As white folks, kinship can be complicated on the journey of anti-racism. My mother has been researching our family history, particularly working to understand and trace the legacy of our ancestors who were slaveholders. Slaveholders and good Christians, all. Kinship, for me, is about repenting for the sins of my family, making reparations in whatever way I can, and working to become a better ancestor. Not all of which sits too well with some of my biological kin, or with our inherited notions of who God is and what God's reign is like. Whatever we have been told about God and about God's reign, we must begin to tell one another better, more inclusive stories about who God is and to find more liberating language for God, for Jesus, for the reign of Christ. Reverend Dr. Will Gaffney shares the words of Jewish poet Ruth Brim, who walks with us on this journey. She writes, When men were children, they thought of God as a father. When men were slaves, they thought of God as a master. When men were subjects, they thought of God as a king. But I am a woman, come not a slave, not a subject, not a child who longs for God as father or mother. I might imagine God as a teacher, a friend, but those images, like king, master, father, or mother, are too small for me now. God is the force of motion and light in the universe. God is the strength of life on our planet. God is the power moving us to do good. God is the source of love springing up in us. God is far beyond what we can comprehend.
Our call to action this week is first to examine and commit to changing any language for or images of God that perpetuate or sanctify empire. And second, to seek out what the crucified peoples of history and of today say about God and listen for better ways of conceptualizing and enacting belonging in the kingdom. We are doing amazing work in 2021, and we need y'all's help. If you're committed to getting white folks on board for dismantling white supremacy, please make a donation to Surge. We split every donation with a movement partner doing great work. You can donate online at bit.ly slash S-U-R-J-S-F, all capitalized, or find our podcast page at surge.org. We'll share the link on social media, too. Thanks for helping support this podcast and organizing white people to show up for racial justice and the new world we're building together. Thanks, as always, for joining us. We'd love to hear from you all, especially folks of color and non-Christian folks, by commenting on our SoundCloud or Twitter or Facebook pages or filling out the survey on our podcast page at surge.org. Give us a like or rate us on iTunes, Spotify, or wherever you check out our podcast. You can find out more about Surge at surge.org, where you can sign up for Surge Faith updates and find transcripts for every episode, which include references, resources, and action links. And of course, deep gratitude to our sound editor, Claire Hitchens. I'll close with these words of encouragement from Reverend Dr. Will Gaffney. God is sovereign, savior, and shelter, author, word, and translator, earth maker, pain bearer, and life giver, Holy Incarnate Majesty, Holy Incarnate Word, Holy Abiding Spirit, Creator, Redeemer, Sustainer, Parent, Partner, and Friend. And God is available to any and everyone. Again, I'm Reverend Sarah Howell Miller, and my prayer for us all is that we might build a new world in which everyone belongs and everyone shares the liberatory power of the kingdom come.